0: Who can believe it? Episode 140 of the Scottish Liberty Podcast. I'm not long back from New York, where I debated Martin Ford at the Soho Forum on the effects of automation. Thanks to Gene Epstein for inviting me. While I was there, I met with Max Sklar, the host of the Local Maximum Podcast, and he wanted to have me on his show to talk to me about the debate.
1: Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to the Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Sklar. Welcome, welcome, everyone. You have reached another Local Maximum. So we're starting to form our list of topics and guests for 2020, and we're going to start off strong today. Last week, I went to the Soho Forum, which is a debate series here in New York, to hear the resolution robotics will soon lead to widespread joblessness and the concentration of wealth in the hands of a few. That's a topic that people are increasingly aware of and interested in these days. And as we'll see, it's not necessarily a new topic, but the question becomes, how is this time different here in the 2020s and the 2030s? My guest today argued against that resolution, saying that We don't need to be worried about widespread unemployment, at least not due to technology with things like automation, AI and robotics in the time frame of about 10 to 20 years. Uh, He also wrote a book called Universal Basic Income for and against, which talks about a policy proposal that's put forth as a solution to unemployment due to automation, most famously this year being proposed by Democratic presidential candidate Andrew Yang. And my guest is also the host of the Scottish Liberty podcast, Anthony Samaroff. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Local Maximum.
0: Thank you so much for having me on the show, Max. Good to meet you in person. I know we've spoken before over Facebook, but it's just great to be here in New York.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's always kind of exciting when you like hear some. I, I said that. Last week on the show, it's like when you only hear someone on a podcast and then you meet them in person. It's always like uh, it's always kind of a, a strange experience for me, at least. Um, so you mentioned last night at the debate that you're from Glasgow in Scotland. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it Glasgow. How's your how's your trip to New York been?
0: Oh man, I've had such a great time. Uh, the company's been really good, uh, and just I've just been really been enjoying the atmosphere. Obviously. I was spending quite a lot of time preparing for the debate, but I did get to get out and about in the evenings. Um, I perform stand-up comedy here twice. It's just a hobby. I'm not uh, like Dave Smith. Uh, That's pretty really. exciting. I mean, yeah.
1: so where where did you perform stand-up?
0: Uh, there's a place called K Lounge that has open K-Lounge. mics there. Okay. And there's a there's another place as well, and. Yeah, the first the first one went down really well, and the second, um, I maybe drunk a bit too much. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't bomb or anything. But I find like poor gigs. So, sorry, Americans never understand when I say the word poor, because I, I pronounce it incorrectly.
1: Oh, oh, it's uh, it's p o o r. Yeah. Right? Okay. How do you guys say it? Uh, poor but that look we're from New York here so if you want to learn how to speak in New York then it's going to be a whole different ballgame. That would be awesome. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, Hang out with us enough and that'll happen.
0: Yeah it's a great way Uh, I've learned so much from doing it even though it's just a hobby it it just um, but again the American audience is quite different from the one at home and I adapted to that. My I noticed my delivery was a little bit more energetic and woo. I'm a little a little bit more deadpan at home. That goes down better, and it's hmm. um, it's interesting seeing that. And it, it was just really fun. It, it's one of the things that made the trip exciting. And obviously, I've got a few f- um, Facebook friends that came out to meet me at the debate, and it's really nice to see those people. So it's been a blast.
1: Oh, that's uh, that's great to hear. Um... I'm glad that uh, you're enjoying our city. Um, We like to complain about it a lot, like a real New Yorker, but then when someone else comes in from the outside and likes it, we're very happy. Uh, uh, (laughs) And then if they they, uh, start to complain about it, then it's a problem, Uh, let me tell you. (laughs) Uh, Okay, Um, it's just like, what are you talking about? New York's number one. All right, Um, so the debate resolution at the Soho Forum last night was – Robotics will soon lead to widespread joblessness and the concentration of wealth in the hands of a few. And you were arguing for the negative. The other side was Martin Ford. Uh, was it who put up the resolution? What, did he put up the resolution? Do you? How do you guys kind of decide on on what that is?
0: Well, Gene Epstein, the director of the Soho Forum, spoke to Martin and agreed on a resolution that Martin was happy with, he already knew that he wanted me to debate the issue of automation. Right. Because he read my book, Universal Basic Income For and Against, and he said that the section on automation in it was the best thing he'd seen written on the issue from my perspective, at least from the... Um,
1: oh, that's a that's a big compliment, especially if it's coming from some someone who's coming from the alternate perspective.
0: Yeah, that's... Um, that's, that was a huge compliment, and he's been a he was an economics editor for about fifty years. Um, I'm an autodidact in economics. I'm self-taught over um, 10, 12 years. Uh, so for someone you know from outside the academy to get a accolade like that from a professional is great, and to have been invited to attend the gig is yeah. Wonderful.
1: Yeah, it was good to see. It was a very cordial debate. Uh, I've been to the Soho Forum several times, and sometimes the uh, participants can get very heated towards each other. In mm-hmm. fact, there were one or two times I was pretty sure they hated each other. Uh, but uh, uh, no, but but this one was good. Um, yeah, it's just interesting coming up with the resolution. Like, you want to know, like, if one side can come up with the resolution, it's like, you kind of want to make the resolution in your favor. But I don't know I don't want to talk about too much about that. So why are you interested in this issue of you know automation technology jobs what how, how did you get uh, get interested in this or involved in this what what's your background
0: Well I'm interested in economics in general but the focus of most of my writing has been on the reduction of poverty and most people writing on economics from that perspective Usually have some idea of a government program that they want to implement in order to reduce poverty, um, but the records of those programs being successful over the long term isn't that great. Uh, there's been billions, perhaps, you know, hundreds of billions spent on the war against poverty, and sure. yet, and yet poverty persists there's been billions spent on foreign aid and yet poverty persists abroad so my perspective usually comes down to identifying ways in which the economy is biased against those on low incomes and saying you know if we actually in most cases if we get the government out of this area that area the other area you'd see more um growth and the incomes of people at the bottom, or, or, or at least the, um, the price of goods and services would come down dramatically, and that would help people at the bottom of the economic ladder. So in a roundabout way, I came to the automation issue. I had written about it before. But when I was writing my book, Universal Basic Income For and Against, one of the main arguments in favor of the universal basic income is this idea that the robots are going to come and take our jobs and the only way for people to survive that is to have a universal basic income. So I I wrote a chapter of the book on that issue and um, improving upon what I'd written. Um, previously and adding in some some more arguments and and that's I guess that's how I came around to be being writing about automation and I, I, and the great thing about uh, about the invitation is this when I wrote that article I was making a concerted effort because one of the things that irritates me sometimes when I read economics journalism is that people maybe only address an issue with two or three arguments, and people will easily have counter-arguments for those arguments, whereas I try to be comprehensive and explain an issue from as many angles as possible. And that's what I try to do in the automation section. So it was good for Gene to say that he thought that was a good essay because that meant that it that it hit the mark.
1: Right. So you didn't just hammer away at your position. You, you know, went through all the different positions is what you're saying. Yeah,
0: I I, I don't know if you can ever go through all the different positions, but but I always try and think from my reader's perspective, from the perspective of of an open-minded reader who might be prejudiced against my position, when I make an argument, what are they going to say? What are they going to think? Um, Oh, no, that's not true because A, B, and C. And, I, and then I'm going to try and address A, B, and C to the best of my ability within the essay.
1: So, okay. So that brings us to, like, what was the argument that um, Martin Ford was putting forward uh, with regard to why we should be worried about widespread joblessness? Like, he's saying, basically, this is right around the corner.
0: Yeah, he was saying that, um, that in 10 to 20 years, we're going to see massive disruptions, and the argument for that is that AI and robotics are soon going to be able to do things that machines have never been able to do before. And bear in mind, a robot's different from a machine. A forklift does allow one person to do the work of, you know, I don't know, 40 people, 100 people, Lord knows. Sure. But you still need a forklift operator. And the argument as with robots, you don't even need an operator. So he was of the opinion that this is gonna dispossess people and make them jobless, and of course, technological unemployment is a real thing. I mean, when when um, technologies replace human beings, people are displaced by that, but whether robots making products and services free of human labor is actually gonna impoverish people or not, is a very controversial point. I mean, what's happened so far is that the adoption of robots and machines makes goods and services cheaper so that they're more affordable to regular people. Uh, A lot of goods that that we can take for granted now, I mean, the laptop that you're recording this podcast on used to be luxury items. Now they're very affordable to the vast majority of people and Western countries.
1: Uh, yeah, sure, sure. So, uh, what was your position? How did you take on the resolution? Um, why don't you think we need to be worried about joblessness due to automation? So, okay, uh, to use your example, you now have an automated forklift instead of just a forklift. Um, you know, I think someone would say, hey, that means the job's gone.
0: Yeah, and it, it would mean the job's gone. But that's only looking at part of what's happening there. Whatever that forklift is implemented in producing is now cheaper to produce. And if the company that sells that product doesn't reduce the price of the product, then someone's going to come in with the same technology and undercut them. So I use the analogy of, let's say we automate the trucking. Right uh th- that's going to lead to a massive fall in the price of goods and services and if goods cost say half what they do now a lower wage a uh, $10 wage becomes a uh, wage, the equivalent of a $20 wage, a living wage. And that means we can pay people to do all sorts of things we just can't afford to pay people to do now. We're told that our classroom sizes are too large, that hospital waiting lists are too long, that too many old people languish in their homes um, and with no one to look after them. We've been told we've created all these environmental problems and we need green jobs to solve those. So maybe we want to employ people doing all that stuff, but it's too expensive on our current incomes. Now, maybe the truck, trucker that displaced, that was displaced isn't going to go and look after your grandma, but the money that you save on your groceries will allow you the income to pay someone to look after grandma and um, the trucker, well, to the extent that the market is free and can absorb the trucker, he can get on the job training in another profession. Um,
1: yeah, I'll stop there. Yeah, no, I I, um, well, I, don't know about you. I certainly have a lot of things I'd like to spend on that I yeah, wouldn't yeah. otherwise do. Uh, a couple that's points w- on that. Yeah,
0: Yeah, that's just what I ask people. Just imagine that your income was worth twice as much as what it is now. Yeah. What would you pay someone to do? What would you What would you employ people with? And that's those are where the jobs.
1: Uh, yeah, are the, be. the group I was with for um for New Year's, they were like, "Hey, I know, let's uh let's hire a private chef," and we like looked at the cost and we're like, uh oh, let's just get groceries and cook." You know? Okay, sure. But it would have been
0: nice to. Yeah, you know. but if you were all <laughs> twice as rich as you are, you might have been able to afford the private yeah, chef. Yeah, yeah. So, or, yeah. so I just add to that point: it's not that mass technological unemployment isn't is impossible i mean that could it just hypothetically let's say the ai does learn to do pretty much every job at that it's not that that's not possible it's it's that a it's not likely to happen anytime soon because technology takes a long time to roll out yeah and b even if even if and when it does happen that won't impoverish people that will make goods and services so Abundant, um, that they'll be affordable to most people. I, I I mentioned in my talk that once upon a time buying a garment was a once in a lifetime event for, for 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 most people. Now the charity shops are given so many clothes they can't even give them away, and and uh, and people and someone might say, well, you know, who wants that? Who wants all that junk? I'm not talking about just clothes. I'm saying in the in the economy of the future, if we get these 3D printers and things like that all sorts of products will will be as abundant as those clothes and give away, given away for free. No one will be recognizably impoverished because it's it's like a society with replicators from Star Trek.
1: Yeah, I, I want to also like talk about trucking a little bit. There's actually a really good podcast episode from Tech 2025 Podcast, something I listened to. I had the, the host here, Charlie Oliver, and she did a whole episode on on the trucking industry and self-driving trucking that I would recommend, maybe I'll, I'll link to that. But one of the p- points made there, um, one of the uh, like the stats that I found really interesting was, and I don't remember the exact percentage, but the number of the percent of truckers that are 10 years away from retirement is really high.
0: Oh, wow, that's a, that's <laughs> yeah. a really interesting Yeah, 10 to statistics. 15 years.
1: Yeah, so it's like, and they're actually having trouble um, recruiting younger people into the industry so when you learn that it's like well that's um um so i mean we might not have to those truckers might just be happy and retired drawing, enjoying all their cheap goods i mean at that point um you know and and you're not going to see it's not like they're going to say um you know tomorrow all truckers are laid off it's going to be very slow i mean think about how okay like a lot of the newspapers have you know gone under been, been displaced right but it's not like this happened overnight we saw that coming like 15 years in the making and uh and and so it, it's if if the trucking industry loses 50% of their workforce in the next 10 years it can only gain back 10% let's say that's a 60% loss in the workforce maybe they can automate that away but it doesn't seem like they can automate faster than they're losing people
0: right and um, as you can't really prove a negative so you can't prove that this time is different than the agricultural revolution or the industrial revolution and um, and yeah maybe eventually the the robots will do everything but um people won't be poor uh, and
1: yeah.
0: people won't be impoverished in that society because the the robots will do everything you know that's going to make everyone rich
1: So uh, one of the things that he mentioned was, you know, he said, "Okay, you know, it sounds great to have um, falling prices, but then you're also going to have falling wages. And, you know, people are not used to having falling prices. And he said, hey, you know, that's that's the depression, falling wages and falling prices. How, How do you answer that?
0: Well, I mean, there was 100 years of prices falling in the United States Um, when it was created as a nation, and uh, that deflation never seemed to bother anyone. It's true that people have inordinate amounts of debt now, and that's partly driven by monetary policy with the artificially low interest rates, which encourage irresponsible borrowing and um, deter saving. And, yeah, so I guess, um, you know, if you're getting a lower dollar amount, let's say the, the... the price of products falls by 70%, but your paycheck is worth, you get, you get half in your paycheck what you have now. Right. You're still richer in relative terms. Um, he said, well, with all the debt that people have, um, that's going to be terrible because they're not going to be able to pay off their debt. Well, I mean, yeah, there would have to be a correction for that, but the correction would look like the banks saying, we are never going to get this money back. Um, and uh, if, if we don't renegotiate and go to people and say, okay, yeah, obviously dollars are worth way more than they used to be. So, you know, uh, you don't have to pay back your entire, um, you know, because uh, they don't want... Yeah. they Imagine everyone defaulted on their mortgage at once. That's right. a disaster for the banks. They don't want that. They have to repossess the houses and then auction them off at knockdown rates. So they're more likely to come to people and say, okay, you don't need to pay off the entire $80,000 on the mortgage. You can instead pay us back $50,000. That's likely what, what would happen. There'd be a negotiation. Pre- and it might not be a soft landing. Yeah, I admit but that.
1: I, I don't think... Um... Yeah, I, I don't see technology causing a price drop of like 50% in like two years or something like that. It'd be very... And that's like unlikely. you said, they might be... You know, more money might be printed anyway. And yeah, so and, I and,
0: and that's it. one of the, the... It's like, even if they did... That would be great if prices dropped by 50% in two years. That would be like crazy good. But the
1: problems associated with that, because I don't think it's going to happen, so I
0: don't... It's it's unrealistic. But he was saying, oh, the problem is people won't go out and buy stuff because they think it's going to be cheaper next week or it's going to be cheaper in two weeks, so why am I going to buy it now? It's good. You're saving an investment. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing wrong with that. And people will decide, I mean... That, that's I mean I'm not gonna go out for lunch tomorrow and say oh, I, I don't want that salad today I'm gonna wait to because it's probably going to be cheaper in two weeks you know yeah and um, so people people make decisions on how soon they want their stuff and if they want to wait a bit longer in case the price goes down then good luck to them
1: yeah yeah it's a legitimate thing to I mean eventually you wait so long and you, you start getting richer and you're like you know what and <laughs> start enjoying this now mm. um, yeah, yeah another thing I mean I think the Great Depression analogy, I think in then, in that case, wages were – prices were falling, but wages were falling faster. Mm. And yeah, also – Yeah, that's right. Also, they were trying to keep up the – they were trying to keep the wages steady, so that led to like a whole lot of unemployment. But but as a correction.
0: That's the thing. See, when the prices start falling, that's like the companies are going – well, we've got this stuff. I'm never going to sell at that price. So let's see if I if I make it a little bit cheaper, will people buy it? Okay, they're not. They're still not buying it. Let's reduce the price a bit more. And um, that's that's actually a correction. I have an analogy about um, fiscal stimulus, uh, which is, supposing. We have this company that manufactures cars and they're going out of business, which is really just an analogy for all the production in the economy. So the government decides to pump money into the economy. The Federal Reserve prints off these dollars. Suddenly there's a surge in people buying cars because they feel more rich. You save the factory. But the thing is, they're not going to want a car again for another 8 or 10 years. So instead of the factories closing down one by one, over a period, in a great, in a graded way. When the economy adjusts, they're likely to have to close down many of them at once instead. So that's so so. The, this effort to prevent a problem or to treat a problem that people aren't going out and spending enough causes more problems further on down the road.
1: Let me go to this. You know, because I've never been in a formal debate actually. Um, When I was an undergrad at Yale, they have like a Yale Political Union Debate Society there. I went to some of the events. I never asked a question, not once. Mm. (laughs) But uh, I imagine that is very nerve-wracking. Is there anything that you wish you said that you didn't say now, uh, that you didn't say that you'd like to say now, that it's the next day? Because I imagine there's like, ah, I should have said that. Or or maybe Um, it didn't happen. I don't know. It does happen sometimes,
0: but I felt like, once I'd made my opening statement, I'd made most of the points that I wanted to make. And M- Martin didn't, Martin didn't aggressively go after my points. So he didn't give me that much to rebut. Whereas what I did was I kept on going back to the motion and I tried to beat the motion. Like, um, I kept on, I kept on trying to come back to why one might vote no on the motion so i think that i think that um more aggressive pursuit uh edge the victory for me
1: yeah that's a a lot of the times in these debates i go to them and i don't know if this is you know i don't know why people do this but they start debating and then they kind of it sounds like they're debating something other than the resolution that is there and then us in the audience we're supposed to vote on this Mm -hmm. that's how it happens like we have to vote and it's like well they spoke well. They made good points, but they didn't, um, you know, they didn't argue effectively for the points. Now I can't vote for them.
0: Well, people do, to a degree, vote on the wider implications of the rev- resolution rather than, sure. than just the resolution in its own. But I tried to kind of take a three-pronged approach, which was one: is there any evidence that automation is speeding up? And I went through some empirical evidence and said, "Well, that actually looks like it's either going at the same pace as it's always gone, or slightly slower." Yeah. So that that or that's, right,
1: automation as a whole, or automation in terms of like job loss from automation, yeah, or job displacement. Yeah.
0: Um, chur, uh, yeah. The job churn in the yeah. U.S. Has, I mean, has been has not been any faster than it has in the past.
1: One thing that I've noticed, like here, when we try to automate a job. It's almost like a hydra where like okay we automate like this happens like with someone doing custom customer reports one time like oh I'll automate that custom report for you and then he's like great and then the sales team comes back and they're like oh now that you can do this we have two types of two new types of uh, custom reports that we want this right. guy to do and I'm right. like oh no now he has more work That <laughs> right. that's
0: pretty funny yeah so I guess that was the first point is it going to happen soon the second thing is if it does happen, is that going to lead to widespread joblessness? And I tried to demonstrate that it wouldn't. And then even to go, well, if in the future it does get to the point where it's creating widespread joblessness, is that necessarily going to make people impoverished? And I said, no, well, that's going to make people rich because you've got replicators from Star Trek.
1: Yeah. So you said a three pronged approach. The first was to go back to the resolution. The what were the other two?
0: Well, they, they were all they were all speaking to the resolution. Yeah. They were there's was three three primary points I had. Is there any evidence that the speed of change is speeding up? Okay. So far, there isn't. Yeah. Now the past doesn't equal the future. That could all change tomorrow. So given that it could all change tomorrow, would it necessarily be a bad thing if? The increase in the speed of the increase of productivity
1: increases. Ah, I see. So one, it's probably not happening. Two, if it did happen, it wouldn't be a bad thing. And three, and three even
0: if it even if it gets to the point where it causes widespread joblessness, is that really going to impoverish people? Even no if we problem. had
1: like the super abundant society of like the Star Trek replicator. Yeah. 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 So, so Which yeah, we're we're not close to that. Yeah, and that comes, <laughs> that
0: comes down to the falling prices yeah. again. Like, oh, I'm never going to sell that at that price. Oh, there's so many people churning out this stuff that I can't give it. That I can barely give it away. I'd like to yeah. give away the products because I don't want to store them in a warehouse that right. I have to pay to. I have to pay for the warehouse. I need to pay for keeping it at the right temperature. You know, I need to make sure. You know, whatever. You know that. Keeping stuff that you can't sell has costs attached to it as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, one thing that he 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 mentioned, uh, Martin mentioned uh, that uh, I actually found exciting. He's like, "Oh, uh, within five years, Amazon is going to come out with like a robotic hand that has the dexterity of a human hand," and I was like, "Oh my God, there's so many great things we could do with this." That's yeah, great that news. sounds
0: Awesome. <laughs> that does sound awesome. And the interesting thing about that is the Amazon example is Amazon have already ex- succeeded in part by bringing down the prices of books and other services and making sure you can get them delivered the next day. Now, this just means offer further... Uh, and just remember that whenever you buy a book for $8 rather than $10, that's $2 you've saved to spend on something else. Sure. So if that book comes down to $6 because of this robotic arm, excuse me, then all the better, you know, we're all richer for, for the robotic arm.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and you can think of all sorts of devices that, that you could make, but, you know, I mean, you, you don't just have the robotic arm and then you have it, you know, all of a sudden folding your laundry and cleaning up the streets. That's a lot of software, and all the people working on that kind of software are now being pulled into self-driving cars first, which are probably higher value. So it's like it's not going to get done overnight.
0: Yeah, and, and I did really beat him over the head with the word soon that yeah. was in the resolution. I kept coming back to the word soon. And I like that, it's a lawyer thing, it says soon. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, he chose to put the word soon in yeah. and it 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 would have been better for him and it would have given me a harder job if the word soon wasn't in the resolution. But he did specify that he meant by that we'd start to see disruption in 10 to 20 years.
1: Yeah, that, it's it's a more interesting debate. I don't, maybe, maybe we can't get into this now. It would be interesting to have a show on on this to like imagine, like, okay, take technology and automation to its ultimate destination. Um, robots could do literally everything. Then what's the implications of that? Um, but even if we're not close to it, let's say like a thousand years or something. Sure. Um, and then th- that would be that would be an interesting debate to have. But that was not what you. Had to do in this case,
0: but I, I think I did address that just by yeah. saying, you know, those are our, our replicators.
1: Yeah, that. yeah. But I feel like if I were debating against you on that, I'd have a. There'd be some interesting possibilities to, um, to, to explore. That right. like let's hear them. I'm I'm sort of thinking off the cuff here, but like, okay, um, maybe I don't want to give stuff away if I own the if I own the machines, because I don't like all these people around. And, (laughs) you know, maybe it's just like, hey, we'll just become cyborgs. And so we'll be like part human, and we won't really want to, you know, there's really no reason to have an extra brain around. I don't think we're anywhere near that. But it's like, okay, then what are the implications of that? Um, That's... um, that's an interesting idea. Of course, I would argue on the other side back that, hey, like, just because there's super intelligence around doesn't mean you can't have lesser intelligence, just like just because they're humans, they're also like animals and all that. So I don't know.
0: Uh, Yeah, it's interesting to think about. um, uh, It could happen, we could turn into cyborgs. I'm glad that I'm probably not likely to be around. uh, Once the technology is ready for that. I'm not really sure that I want to. Uh, yeah. I want to participate. Well, well,
1: we're partial cyborgs with all these, uh, you know, things in our ear and mm. stuff on our wrist and all that. And I mean, look at like all the the, the Amazon stuff where that, that's in science fiction movies from like twenty years ago.
0: Yeah, a lot of the stuff is just basic. What we what what we have stuff is to enhance right and what our senses can already. But, but we're do. still human.
1: I mean, there, yeah, there's no, there's no problem there. at least I don't think.
0: For the the time being. Yeah, I I wonder if, you know, if someone came from 2,500 years ago, if he'd recognize this as human.
1: Um, Yeah, yeah, it's, I I think so, but the world would just be, you know, so insane. Like, how would you interpret anything in this room, really, would be uh, crazy. Although, they would understand this drinking glass. They would understand things like that. Okay, anyway. <laughs> um, so your approach to this debate, it, it worked. Uh, hey, winning isn't everything in these things. Certainly winning doesn't always mean you're right, but I'll point out you did win it. Yeah, I did win and by quite a long margin. But as you say,
0: um, uh, winning doesn't mean you're right. Uh, uh, people will watch, no, no doubt, the debate on YouTube and Maybe I'll, there'll be some critical comments. Well, it's I not look all about, forward to it. It's, it's, it's yeah, part of the excitement. I, I do too. It's not all about winning, but it's nice to win, especially when you cross the ocean to do it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> be like, I mean, I would kind of mentally prepare myself, like, hey, I might win, I might not. It'll just be a fun trip no matter what, you know. Um, okay, so, oh, you were originally scheduled to debate someone else, right? Yeah, that's true. You were originally scheduled to debate Andrew Yang, presidential candidate. And I don't know if he pulled out, but that didn't happen. Are you disappointed that didn't happen?
0: I would still love to debate Andrew Yang, maybe if he doesn't win the presidency.
1: Yeah. Uh, and I think that's maybe why he didn't do it, because he's doing reasonably well or better than expected.
0: Well, let's face it, I'm relatively unknown compared to Andrew Yang. So if we debated and I won, it would be pretty bad for him. But if he won it wouldn't be much of a gain. It would be pretty expected. So maybe that's why he pulled out.
1: And after his race, it might be like, okay, he might do it just from, you know, he has less to lose, I guess.
0: Well, someone will have to ring him up and ask him (laughs) if he's willing to debate me.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I listen to some of these democratic debates with all these, um, I don't think they're idiots, but they're like – so many of the candidates are just dumbing things down to such a level, and um, I actually I like him in the in the debates. I don't, I mean I don't agree with his signature mm-hmm. policy, but um, I actually think he's someone who looks at the issues and is um, you know is at least trying to do the right thing.
0: Yeah, he's brainy and he's charismatic, and it would have been it would be so great to it would have been so great to see how he he performed in the debate. Maybe he'd uh, go after me a little bit more.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right. So as I said, his signature policy is the universal basic income. Mm, you know, I everybody, know someone who's
0: written a book about that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh,
1: you have a book called uh, Universal Basic Income for and against. Um, and so what is, can you give us like the two sentence version of what is a universal basic income? And then tell us a little bit about the book and uh, what we're going to get out of it.
0: Well, the idea of the universal basic income is that everyone should be entitled to a sum of money from the government on a monthly basis or what have you. And not and, a huge sum of money, yeah. but enough to make sure that no one went hungry.
1: And, and what are there any conditions on that money?
0: Well, I guess that's the reason why they say universal. Uh, there might be some conditions like you need to be a certain age, 16 or 18, or that you're not in prison. Uh, it might be. So, but generally, it's it's meant to be a universal, a, a basic income guarantee. So, an, basically, an
1: existence award.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, the the idea is that you're entitled to a sum of money.
1: I mean, I guess you probably have to be a citizen, too. Yeah, so,
0: that's another point. You probably have to be a citizen.
1: Yeah. Ooh, that. come to think of it, that would definitely inflame the immigration debate a lot more if we had that in place.
0: Yeah, well, people do worry about... Um, that in terms of implementing a basic income its proponents do have suggestions how to deal with that
1: all right so what so um what are we going to learn from the book well uh the
0: book i guess first of all has a pretty comprehensive rundown of the main arguments in favor and against and i i even though it's clear that my personal prejudices against universal basic income. I've been told I was fair to so the arguments in favor. And there's some discussion at the end of the book where there's a Q&A session where I go back and forth. And those questions were taken from events that I would uh, participated in and from YouTube. And I felt helped elucidate the points. But the important thing is it also includes a bunch of ideas for policies that could be implemented with very little um i don't know uh, sensible common sense policies in my opinion that people regardless of their political inclination would go yeah that makes sense you know that uh, that would reduce the cost of living and i think yeah. i think it's a nicely written book it's an easy it's an easy read for something on economics, and when I say easy, I don't just mean dumbed down. It's it I, I just mean the the writing style is very conversational. Yeah, and it's uh, like a
1: hundred pages. I saw it. Yeah, not, it's, it's, it's not, maybe one hundred fifty. Yeah, you're not going to be reading this for uh, five
0: months. It'll take you two, three hours to read it, and you'll like it. It's a fun book. It's enjoyable. There's some humor in there, and it will it look it will give you a comprehensive understanding of the issue.
1: Yeah, there. I, I feel like there is some gray area there, even like from, from a free market perspective, when it's like, okay, you can have a UBI theoretically that like replaces other government programs that are maybe less efficient than it. Um, and so, um, yeah, I don't know. There, there's definitely a lot of, I, I see a lot of, Aspects of this that are actually less cut and dry in my view
0: Well, I mean the main arguments for it from a libertarian perspective are That one it would reduce the amount spent on bureaucracy for the transfer of welfare payments Sure, say if we're gonna do it anyway. Yeah, because it's simple. It's simple to just write people a check Whereas assessing people for a whole sort host of benefits requires tons of bureaucrats secondly is that the current welfare system creates a disincentive to work for people because there's poverty traps or welfare cliffs where if people earn more than a certain amount or work more than a few hours, they they get thrown off the welfare cliff and they'll lose a, a host of benefits. So they might be, be only being taxed um, a small percentage on their income, but when you factor in the benefits they're losing, their effective tax rate might be in excess of 70% for mm-hmm. each dollar they earn. So the idea is that with a universal basic income, whatever you earned would be in addition to your basic income. So there would be no disincentive for anyone to work more. Those are probably the two strongest arguments in favor of a uh, from a libertarian's perspective, there's other arguments like, oh, well, maybe there would be less crimes, there would be lo- less law enforcement, maybe, um, or like it would preserve um, a market in healthcare because people would have more money to, and, and so on, and what have you. I have my own thoughts on those arguments, and why they're not sufficient for me personally to support a universal basic income. I guess you'd you'd find more about them in the book.
1: All right, cool. I will uh, just forward people onto the book if they want to hear more. The book is called Universal Basic Income For and Against. I'll link to it from the show notes page, which is going to be localmaxradio.com slash 101. We had our 100th episode. Mm. It it came out just yesterday. 101. Uh, You could also hear more from Anthony through the Scottish Liberty podcast, which I'll also link at localmaxradio.com slash 101. And also be yourself and love it.
0: That's right. Be yourself and love it podcast. That's a personal development podcast. Personal development
1: podcast. Okay. Um,
0: that tries to put out practical information. I know the self help industry is full of a lot of philosophizing, but yeah, it's a, it's a really nice podcast and very practical things that you can use to help be yourself and love it. Wonderful. Anthony, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me on the show.